Hi, I'm John Kerwin. Welcome to my podcast, Open Minded, the show all about mental well-being. Each episode, I interview experts and thought leaders to bring you the latest developments in the world of mental well-being. My guests talk about their personal well-being journeys and how they look after the well-being of themselves and their teams. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. This bonus episode of Open Minded is a little different. We're doing a crossover. <laughs> so instead of our usual interview format, Janelle McMaster from the Change Happens podcast and Deputy CEO of Ernst & Young Oceania came on the show for a double interview. So in this episode, you'll get to hear a little bit more of my story than our usual pods. And we'll get some great insights from an amazing leader in Janelle. Hope you enjoy it. Well, hi. Look, I'll just start. This is really different today. So um, my name is John Kerwin. I have a podcast called Open Minded. And I normally interview people around mental health and go on a journey of discovery. So today I'm sharing it with... Janelle McMaster. So hello, this is different for me too. I um, am the Deputy CEO at EY Oceania um, and I also have a podcast and it's called Change Happens and it really is a podcast that's all about talking to change leaders and I know you say, John, it's from all walks of life. Same for me. I, uh, I talk to, to leaders from all walks of life on how they've dealt with change, how they've led change and all the lessons that they've learned along the way. Why do you think change is so scary? I think a massive part of change scariness is the uncertainty. You know, so when you feel like things are out of your control or you are unclear about what's going to be happening, that causes angst, you know. So so much about people being resistant to change or dealing with change is about how do I reduce that uncertainty? How do I close that gap? How do you do that? God, if we we're already off and away. I was, I was going to start with the questions for you. I knew, I knew you were going to do that. Okay, I'll answer this, but I'm going to no, ask you. Only so, so it's really hard to do podcasts with me because I <laughs> now just, you tell me after I just I've agreed. Get, I just get really intrigued. Um, okay. You know, when I'm in my groove, and we'll talk about that later. Yes. I'm just really curious, mm. and, and um, I'm intrigued about your life. I'm intrigued about. Um, your leadership role. I'm intrigued about mental health because often one of the things that happened with me when I started talking about my mental health was the stereotypical response mm -hmm. to just because I was an all black, I should have my shit together, mm. right? Mm. And I often find that with, you know, leadership like yours. People think that you often are this superhuman person that can deal with a whole lot of different stuff when often the reality is we are just like everyone else and we're just dealing with it in different ways or we have tools in place that help us deal with that stuff. But well, it doesn't mean we don't right. deal with it, right? No, that's right. And I think that people, either they think that we're superhuman or we think that they think that we are superhuman and that puts pressure on ourselves too. And I guess if there's anything that COVID has taught us is when we showed our vulnerability and you do this all day every day JK when we show our vulnerability actually there's a higher level of relatability people go well, thank god because I'm struggling here as well so I, I think a lot of it is pressure we put on ourselves to hold up a standard that actually probably people don't don't expect but we think that they do I think the biggest change for me talking about change and the thing I'm excited about the most is and I don't know where it came from, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you a little story because I love telling little stories. So mm. just tell me. I'm, I'm sick of your stories, no, JK. No, I'm into it. I'm here for um, it. But I spoke to a guy not so long ago who said, oh, we had a uh, 
you know, we had a company barbecue mm-hmm. and my boss was there. And wow, he seemed like a really cool guy. He had a couple of kids and a couple of Labradors and he was playing with his kids and running around with the dogs and being a bit of an idiot. And I went, yeah. <laughs> because somewhere along the way people said, don't take your real self to work. I know, I know. I don't know when it was. And it was a sad day when that It's happened. a sad day, yeah, because I think that, um, you know, I talk about two things. Don't mix your humanity up with your ability. Mm. You can still be an amazing boss and an asshole. You can still be an amazing <laughs> boss and a really good go person. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can still be a, a, a boss that's struggling with anxiety and, and relationships or whatever that is. That's you know, right. it's just a human human thing that we've got. And that's what I'm excited about because I don't think that I don't think that's the future for leadership. The future for leadership is actually being way more authentic and bringing your real self to work. I also think the future for leadership is not just this, um, like the individual hero leader anymore. I don't think that there's one person that wears a cape and, you know, saves the day. I think there's the power of the collective leadership, so people who work together and, and harness that ability of the broad masses. I think that people who can tap into um, the diverse abilities of others, people who show their vulnerability, I think that the archetype of leadership has totally changed. How do, how do you deal with, how do you lead and deal with egos at the high level? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a little bit of eyeball rolling that still happens, you know, I'm like, okay. I think it's really instructive as well. Um, so when there are really big egos, there's usually a reason behind it. It's usually masking some amount of insecurity about something. It's usually masking some lack of information about something. It's usually a worry. So I think if you can get to the driver behind that to do like hypotheticals. So, you know, one might ask oneself, you know, and then sort of tap on the very thing that they would never be humble enough to put out there, but you can diffuse that. I think when you come up with shared language, you know, I think what we both want here is this, how, or co-op them into answering questions where they would normally be sitting back with their arms crossed expecting you to have the answers. How might we solve this? How, you know, why not appeal to the ego? And then they feel, well, actually what they're worried about is that they will be cut out. So I think, you know, the psychology of it is to try to understand what's driving that behaviour then tap into that rather than go, you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice because when I, when I was at my worst, you know, when I was an arrogant asshole rugby player, um, I was just hiding Mm. hiding from me, hiding from my anxiety, hiding from what was really out there. And it was the best defence that I had because often it's what people expected. Mm. They expected me to be... They could reconcile that persona much more readily than someone who is talking about mental health issues or I'm not doing okay. Yeah, exactly. Right? And and I think luckily it didn't last too long, but it was a pretty sad time. Okay, I, I can see you're warming up here to asking me a whole lot of questions. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm not, your background is so insane. I, I, I've got to jump in with, you've had such a diverse career, an incredible professional athlete, writer, mental health advocate, you started a foundation, you do many, many things, loads and loads of interests, you're exceptional on surfing, languages, cooking, all sorts of things. What was it that made you, that drove you so clearly towards mental health as your focus for a career out once you left the sporting world? Can I just hold you there? I'm blissfully average at a whole lot of stuff, which is okay. Okay, that's, that's true. Right, we come back also, to that. And you're also exceptional at a number of things as well. Yeah, but I think it's also important. It's okay to be 
blissfully average. Yeah. Okay. I'm blissfully average surfer. I'm a blissfully average cook. (laughs) Um, I'm a blissfully, blissfully, blissfully average guitar player. But that is not, um, not why I do them. But I think that's really interesting. Um, I wanted to jump out of a window one night. Tell me about that. Uh, I was hiding my anxiety and my depression, and. What was, was happening in your life at that time? Or where were you was, at with your sporting career? I was incredibly career? successful externally. Mm. I was an all-black, playing for my country, had a free car. Nice, <laughs> well done, you. Yeah. How good's yeah. that? Back when free cars weren't um, given to a lot of people, By I was Oprah. doing, yeah, <laughs> like, you know. Um, but I was suffering from anxiety and depression. I was I was an anxiety. So anxiety and depression are two different illnesses. Mm-hmm. You can have... Um, Anxiety and it doesn't fall into depression, but there is um, a lot of a lot of people that do have anxiety and then it falls into depression. I was one of those. Um, I didn't know what it was. My reference to mental health was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Anyone who's oh old enough to, yeah. to remember that movie, so I didn't talk to anyone because I thought I'd be locked up with Jack Nicholson and the chief, the big American Indian <gasps> actor, um, and that was a real fear. So mm-hmm. I spoke to no one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having suicidal ruminations which were the s- scary as hell. Um, I never planned my own suicide. I felt incredibly um, fortunate about that. Um, but one night I was in a hotel room in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Um, I still sometimes can't go too close to a window, especially buildings like We're this. Sitting safely where um, the, the window was open on the 10th floor and I decided I was going to run and jump out. Wow. And uh, the guy lying next to me said, JK, you've got a good heart. And it saved my life. Just why, why did that line resonate for you? What was it about what he said, you've got a good heart, that cut through for you? Well, the alternative was to jump out the window. Mm. So, But it um, obviously mattered to you that he saw in you a good heart. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to him often. I mean, he's also an incredible human. His name's Michael Jones or Sir Michael Jones now. Uh, he got knighted for his services to Pacifica in, mm. in New Zealand and the work that he does with youth and um, he's very, very religious mm-hmm. and he said, I think God must have told me, Jack. I said, shit out if God knows who I am, I'm all good. <laughs> um, but he just must have sensed something, I think. And I, I said those words to myself from that minute for the next probably month. JK, you've got a good heart. JK, you've got a good heart. What I didn't realise back then was it's actually the start of cognitive behaviour therapy or mm. rewiring your brain. That's right. Um, but what it did is it got it got me to a stage where I needed to get help. And so the next day I played a test match for my country, um, scored two tries. It was like living in a dream. And so I went home and started the process by talking to my family, going to the doctor, and that's a whole... Another story. What did it feel like when you started to open up that narrative? Like you started to let people into your, whatever your internal narrative at the time was, right, about why you weren't feeling good. What did it feel like when you started to talk about this out loud? The, the, the biggest thing for me was my doctor said, JK, it's an illness, not a weakness, mm. right? And that changed my life. It changed my life because part of this illness is... It eats away at your self-esteem, mm-hmm. so you think you're worthless. Eats away at your self-confidence, so even the stuff that you, like rugby player, mm. like on the top of my game, mm. um, no confidence to do that. And it, it takes away your enjoyment in life. So life's pretty shitty without those three things, right? Oh, it really is. But, you know, I think I'm really interested in 
the relationship between success and self-confidence and mental health, right? So you're working in, um, you're playing in sports where arguably it's quite a really um, clear set of success measures. You know, you score the try, you win the game, you win the premiership. Um, and you were doing those things by objective measures. You now occupy a world where it's not those kinds of measures. How, what's your relationship with success? How, have you had to evolve the way that you think about success and failure and what's the relationship between that and wellbeing? Uh, I think success is one of the most dangerous words you can use mm. because I think often we judge success on what other people have done or what our perception of it is. Tell you another wee story. My dad um, had three triple bypasses, nearly died about, yeah, a few times. But anyway, my sisters rang me and I was overseas and they said, oh, dad's dying. <laughs> you know, dad had a, a bit of a dark sense of humour like mine, so if I laugh about shit like this, don't worry, it's no, just I, my dad. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with <laughs> yeah, 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 I, saw, I saw the look on your face thinking, oh, should I laugh or not? Um, <laughs> so no, that was my dad, so he okay. had a really dark sense of humour of which uh, I've, I've inherited, and so, so it's really cool. But anyway, I came down and I walked into the hospital room and um, he said, what the bloody hell are you doing here? He said, oh, your sister said I'm going to die. I said, yeah, and he went, no, not, and he didn't for another year, which was really cool. But I had a beautiful three days of which he, I had the time to talk to him properly as a dad, thinking that I might never see him again. But I asked him one question, which was really relevant at the time, because the question that you asked me that I'll be asking you back about success, I was judging my success on other people or what I thought mm -hmm. society thought success was. Um, but if you take a real good look at success, it's a real dangerous animal. Because mm. if you're comparing yourself to someone else, you're already in the shit. Um, so I said to Dad, you know, what's, what's success, Dad? And he said, how many bastards want to carry you out when you die? Wow. Wow. And when Dad did eventually pass, I would have had 50 phone calls saying, you know, can, can I help carry Dad out or is there anything I can do? And he said, it's no use having the flashless car in the car park of the cemetery. Mm. Right? And I was living a life based on success of what my perception was and what I thought other people would judge me on. Yep. Very, very dangerous. Yep. Once you give that up mm. and once you decide... And, and another really interesting thing for me is when you feel uncomfortable, your values aren't aligned mm. with your actions. So some of, the the, some of the things I was mm. doing to get success weren't aligning. Like what? Um, I'd cut your throat to win football game. God, this room just got a little yeah, right? constricting. Um, I would do anything to win yeah. on the football field. Mm. Uh, and that took me to a place that I was uncomfortable with, you know. Uh, and I find it at your level of management, I find so many of the same things around success, you know, around what it looks like, about what it is, yeah. um, you know, partners yeah. trying to compete around possibly a financial success yeah. goal or perception. So um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting, interesting thing. I believe that if you want to be happy and content in your life, you need to address that first. Mm. And I think COVID has given us, a lot of us, that moment. I you agree. know, people are going, what am I doing? Um, 
So what is success for you? You know, at the risk of sounding also a little bit dark, humour, morbid on this whole thing, there's a lot of what you've said that resonates for me. So as you've pointed out, lots of people in my kind of world and at my level, um, you're almost conditioned to believe that success is, you know, what where you are on the organisational chart, how much delegation of authority you have, all of that. That's just kind of what you've grown up. That's been the Busyness markers. as a badge. Busyness. Busyness as a badge. It's a state man, I'm of busy. mind. Man, I'm it's a state of importance. Yeah, all of that. And I think that's probably why for I have for so long struggled with imposter syndrome because there's always going to be things I don't know and I keep waiting for someone to go, you're not that good. You're actually not that good. And I would agree with them. Like I don't know all of the things. Would I say I'm technically the best person in the room? Never, like literally never, spoiler alert, you know. Um, And I keep thinking, look, I'm pretty good with people but how far is that going to get me? And at some point I'm going to get caught out for not knowing the technical stuff or not, you know. And that's a pretty hard way to live because you just keep thinking this is very precarious and I've done well to now. And interestingly, I guess I listened to a discussion, a podcast quite some time ago with a a guy by the name of Peter Atiyah, but he talked about the need to focus on the eulogy rather than the resume. So there's something very similar with what you're talking about. So take the focus off what you do and more about who you are what would I want people to say about me in my eulogy? Could I feel good about that, the, pers- the kind of person that I am? And that is a much better place for me to be in because, you know what, I know I've been raised by an amazing you know, set of parents, my family and I are really tight, I know I've got good values, I know I can hold myself to account on those and everything else is, you know, like it's stuff that you do and it's important and I care deeply about the work that I do um, and the people that I work with and the clients that I serve, but actually at the end of the day, it's the kind of person that I am and the integrity of that that I, I've got to keep focusing on. Um, and so I think the the eulogy rather than the resume is something... It's a work in progress for me, Jack, do you know what, to be honest. Do you know what wealth is? I don't know. I feel like whatever I say, you're going to have a better one. So you, no, you say... No, I think, it's, I think it's, a really interesting, it's a really interesting question because I think society... I think capitalism has accelerated mm. out of control. But a wise man once told me that wealth is the ability to stop, mm. right? And I think I have financial goals. Yeah. I want to be successful financially. Yeah. So sometimes when people talk to me about mental health, it's not as if you go around, like a mate of mine says, oh, JK, how many trees have you hugged today? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mental health is not this thing that is not everyone's got. Lifestyle is choice, you know. If you want to be a hippie and live in the bush, good on you. Mm. Um, but part of my well-being is also being successful around how I want to live my life. Yeah. And you need money for that, mm. right? But how much do you need? Yep. You know, and when are you going to stop chasing that? And I what think are you going to? That's a really good question. How yeah, much do you? How need? How much do you need? Yeah. But also, and if money's a goal of yours, and you want to be the richest man in the world, that's cool. But don't moan if you've sacrificed. So, the interesting thing about me, um, so I was dead. Right? Sorry, what? I was dead. Okay. Yeah. When, when was well, that? Well, when I wanted to jump out of a window, I was dead. Yes. Right. So, I had to start again. Right, because whatever I was doing wasn't right, and. I was so scared, I wanted myself back, mm. right? And I went and saw my mum. Yeah. And my mum said, you need to smell the roses, right? So you need to stop and smell the roses. So, so, so I had to start again. 
So how did you do that? Well, it was really easy actually in the end. Okay. Um, because can you control yesterday? No. Can you tell me what's happening tomorrow? Well, I can have a guess, but it's going to be wrong. No, well, you probably could, but it'd be associated with all the material yeah, things in our lives. Like, yeah, yeah, your diary. But actually, you don't. Mm-hmm. And COVID's also taught us this. So she said to me, if you can't control yesterday, can't change yesterday, got no control over tomorrow, what's the, what's the most important thing? Mm. I said today. So I just got my life back into daily pieces. But then what I had to do was I had to build these, these bridges, and I call them bridges because how do I, what does success look like as a father? What does success look like as a husband? What does success look like in, in business? And what does success look like spiritually? And I had some issues with God, and we can get into that if you want. But um, so, but then I had to build bridges across those because, and I'll, I'll tell you one. So my business box, I'm a professional rugby coach. I've got young kids. We're living in Italy, and my wife says, I'm not coming to live in Japan with you because I want the kids to be educated here. You go. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, how am I going to... How am I going to make sure that when my kids don't get to 18, they think I'm an asshole that wasn't there, mm. right? So all of a sudden, my, my business bridge extends out into my father bridge or my father box. So now I've got an imbalance. Mm. So how can I work on that imbalance to make sure that my kids don't think I'm an asshole when they're 18? And so that was a process that my wife and I had to go through and that's something that we had to explain to the kids so that... I managed that imbalance, right? Mm. And it was, and it's been easier for me because, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago I wasn't that well. Um, I wasn't unwell, but I was just getting some signs that I needed to slow up. Mm. And it was because one of my boxes, which is my work box, had overtaken my husband box. Yeah. You know, my my um, my father box and my spirituality relax box. And how did you know it was getting a bit out of kilter? What was happening for you? Sometimes um, we just hurdle through, right? It, it just it happens to us. It creeps up on us. Or how well, did you know? What does it feel like to know oh, something? I've got to look at my bridges. Yeah, no, no. I think bridges. I think boxes and bridges. So mm. my boxes and the bridges to them get out of balance. Mm. I don't know if I've told you about my sharks, but I've heard about sharks and monkeys. So talk oh, okay, to me about yeah. both of those. Okay, I've, so um, when I was very unwell, I went to a a psychiatrist. I feel this. I'm not asking you enough questions anyway. I'll get back to that. I'm totally cool with that. It's exactly my happy place. Um, (laughs) So I went to my psychiatrist and she said, JK, how would you like to learn how to do self-hypnosis, right? Mm. This is the 80s. Yeah. This is the 80s, girl. Right? There was no Lululemon back then. There was no (laughs) yoga and shit back then. You did that, you're a dope-smoking hippie, you know what I'm saying? This is the 80s. So um, I thought, but because I'd accepted my illness... All right, and I wanted to have all the tools I could to get better. Um, I, I agreed to it. So she taught me this breathing exercises. She did this thing with my arm, and in my mind, she said, "What what would you like to do?" And I said, "Well, during my illness, I didn't like surfing. So um, in my mind, I put on my board shorts, run down, feel the water, beautiful, paddle out, two to three foot perfection, surf." And she brings me out of it. Right, so I've done the self hypnosis, and I felt really good. Yeah, because. Um, Anxiety and depression for me was often I'd wake up and get cleanness in my head and there'd be like a cloud over me. That was gone. So I'd go home um, and I said to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, gee, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that at, at home. So I went upstairs a bit earlier then. I did exactly the same thing, did the breathing, did the thing with my arm in my head, you know, um, put my board shorts on, run down the beach, feel the water, paddle out, two to three foot perfection, four sharks in the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And shit myself and get straight out. <laughs> 
<laughs> as anyone would with sharks in the water. Yeah, you ever swam with sharks yeah, yeah. in the water? Not pleasant. Um, so I didn't actually see the sharks, but I had all this fear circling me. And so I go back to her and I go, what the hell was that? And she said, well, JK, they're your sharks. Um, you've got some fears in there that you need to deal with. So my first one was a dumb shark. So I left school at 15. I've never passed an exam in my life. Got told I was dumb by my teachers. Got told I was dumb by my classmates. So I felt dumb. So every time I walked into a room, I felt dumb. Do you think I'm dumb? No, hell no. It'd be very awkward if I said that. I know, I know. That's why I asked you because you can't say no. (laughs) Uh, You can't say not. (laughs) Um, But it didn't matter and it was my shark. So whatever you saw in me, and this is really interesting when people are trying to help others Mm. because they see all the beauty in you but you can't see it in yourself. Um, The second one I had, which you mentioned before, which I'll come back to, was an imposter shark. Mm. So, you know, I'd play some of the what people would think would be the best rugby games they'd ever seen and I'd come off thinking, when are they going to find out I'm just lucky? Mm. When are they going to find out I'm not good enough? When is my luck going to run out? When am I going to be dropped? Um, and then I had a, I had a, um, a guilt shark. Mm-hmm. So I used to do stuff and feel guilty about it. And then I had a wanna-be-liked shark. Mm. Oh my God, right? I've got hard relates on all your sharks, yeah. all the sharks and my yeah, sharks. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I had to deal with them one by one and make sure that they weren't influenced the way I was and making sure that I dealt with those sharks, Mm. got them smaller, got the teeth out of them and got them out of the water because they were making me act in a certain way that I didn't like. So that's when the values weren't aligned with my actions. So tell me, if I just take one of those sharks... Which one would you like? Um, the one that most relates to you, because then I can ask you some they questions. They all relate. They all relate. But, okay, so how about um, imposter syndrome, that shark? What would you do about that? I learned a thing called the worry map. Okay. So the worry map saved my life. It also it helped also with my wannabe like shark and my guilt shark. Okay, so, so I picked a good shark then. You picked a good shark. Mm. So the funny thing about the mind is it lies to you. Yes. Right? Um, So you need to bring it back to reality, and that's really, really hard at times. So with your imposter shark, I started going back to the worry map, which is what can I control, what can't I control, what can I do and what I can't do. So I'll give you a scenario. Um, I play a game of rugby, I score two tries, I get player of the day. Yep. Right? And in my mind I'm going, shit, when's this luck going to run out? When's the coach going to drop me? What do I need to do? The trouble is with a shark, and this is the hardest thing to detach you from, and and I'm pretty sure at your level of business there's a lot of this. So if you want to get Olympic gold medal swimming, get chased by a shark. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who you are. Oh, yeah. You will win. Yep. Right? But the shark will catch you. Mm. So a lot of the detachment from me was that imposter syndrome drove me to be successful. Yep, absolutely. And that's the hardest thing to let go of. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's not really in your interest. Not really in my my interest. So what I did is I did a worry map. Mm -hmm. What can I control? What can't I control? So, for example, um, can I train hard? Yes. The coach is going to drop me. Can I control that? He might not like me. No, I can't control that. What can I control? So then I'd put what I can control, what I can't control, what I can do, what I can't do. And then you've got a plan around it that your mind can settle on. So all of a sudden I've got a plan for my thoughts. So then you've, that uncertainty, remember I talked right at the beginning about some of this issue is around uncertainty and what's in my control and what's outside my control. You've created the conditions to anticipate that, lower the uncertainty and bring more into your control. Yeah, exactly. But 
but where's the where's the Achilles heel in that? The Achilles heel in that is for me, now I've got a plan. Yeah. But actually, what is success? Yeah. Okay? And then we come back to the question that I asked you that yeah. was you had an interesting answer because it was quite related to other people, mm. right? So then I need to go, okay, what does success look like in this mm. environment mm. for me, mm. right? And some of those answers were, I want to be an all black that's there for 10 years, mm. okay? But then it comes back to your worry, mate. So how can I control that? Yeah. And so then you start managing your thoughts and then you, here's another good one, you've got to write this down. True or false? True or false? So when you're talking to your imposter shark, mm-hmm. true or false, ask it. Okay. You, you ask yourself answering the worry. True back. or false? Right. It's usually false. Exactly. <laughs> it's always false. And why is it false? And sometimes it's attached to another shark. Yes. Okay? Yeah. So they're interrelated. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds relatively complicated but I found it really simple because I just put the sharks in separate boxes and then which ones were you know which ones were connected so put it this way my want to be liked by everyone shark yeah um, if I run out on a football field and half the crowd boo me I used to worry about that yeah but why but how do you just stop worrying? You can't just tell yourself, well, don't worry about that. I actually only need five people in my life to be incredibly okay. satisfied. So you prioritise You've got to yeah. prioritise what yeah. it is. So what happens is my sharks come back, mm. right? So a few weeks ago, I'm going, JK, what are you doing, you dick? You, like, you've got a foundation. You left school when you were 15. What do you think you're doing, mm. right? You've got a mental health startup company with 50 people working with you. What, are you kidding yourself? Mm. Was it, is that true or false? False. Totally false. Mm. But that's also a warning to say, shark's, shark's back. Shark's back, yeah. Okay, so what am I doing? So then I go back and have a look at my boxes and go, well, actually, JK, you've been going too hard. Um, and the reasons are you've got a, a, a job every week, you're actually doing rugby as well on Sky Television, so you haven't had a day off in four weeks. And so do you get others to point out your sharks to you? Like, you're doing that thing... JK, that thing that you, it's starting to do, like do you no. recruit anyone else, no. your wife or whatever to say? No. no, I mean my wife will know but I am so in tune with this now that I don't let it get to that or I'll say to her, oh, she might say to me, you're too busy. Mm. Are you looking after, are you okay? Um, and invariably, you know, two weeks before you really get to where you should be, yeah. you you go, no, I'm all good. Yeah. I'm dealing That's with so it. So interesting. Yeah. So, so tell me about your sharks. I share the imposter syndrome shark. I share the Still? wanna be liked. I'm going to talk to you about what I've done about it. So it's getting way better. Cool. I also have a shark that is, I don't know how to put my shark elegantly. Um, They're not elegant. Well, they are elegant creatures. This is the thing about them. They're so elegant, but then they bite you. <laughs> well, when they bite you, it's not that elegant. This <laughs> inelegant shark is something along the lines of I've reached my potential. Like I'm Ooh. the only one that has... In my family, been educated. Um, we're migrants. I'm a daughter of, you know, Fijian Indians who came to Australia. I didn't go to the best school. I mix with worlds that have all had a lot of privilege. But for me, I keep thinking, this is it. I've tapped out. Like, I've done brilliantly for someone in my position. Mm. This is it, right? So, and I should call time. Like, it, the, Is so that an inferiority shark? Oh, it just, it's probably a disbelief shark. I don't know. But if I just so that that's one that I keep thinking. Do you know what your potential is? Well, I keep thinking it was it. Whatever the last thing was, <laughs> that was it. I'm out, tapping out now. So uh, there's this incredulousness about that. I don't know. Maybe it's attached with worth or my own projections of success is wrapped up with access, privilege. I don't know. So mm. there's there's that for me as well. If I 
compare, I guess, the imposter shark and what I've done on that space, and I really have spent a lot of time on it. And um, so you should. These are really, really important yeah. things you should spend I, time well, I on. I go through a duality so well of feeling that it's really important then feeling it's incredibly indulgent. Like I just sort of again go, oh, my God, you, can you just get over yourself already and move on? But anyway, <laughs> let's say I don't put that shark into the equation and I have a, I've drawn a picture up on my whiteboard at home and it's a picture of an elephant with like a rope around its neck Yeah. and it's the words of Carol Dweck. It says, mm. don't believe everything you think. Now that elephant can at any time just move forward and dislodge itself from the tree it's tied to. The elephant is far bigger than that tiny piece of rope around its neck, but it believes that it's tied to that tree. And very often I have this narrative in my head, which is all the things I've just said to you. So if I keep looking up, don't believe everything you think, you can actually, you have the power to change that narrative. So that's the first thing. The second thing is in changing that narrative, and you talked about cognitive, you know, behavioural work and cognitive therapy, the mind is incredibly powerful as a positive and a negative. Totally. So, right? So, and I can see how it's a positive for me. I can also see how it's a negative. And I've done work where I've gone, I have to retrain my brain. And I had a coach here helping me with this. I have to retrain my brain, rewire it to make better connections with what actually happens with reality. So, for instance, I if I get asked to speak at certain events or go into a room of all these very important directors, usually they're middle-aged white men who come from all that privilege that I get scared of. And I walk in, I don't want to be there. I don't, I don't want to be there. I've got nothing to contribute to that meeting. And so I know people can tell me, you'll be great, blah, blah, blah. But so what I did was for a week, for instance, is look at my diary and look at all the things in there that were freaking me out, which nobody knows, by the way. I know it though. And my natural inclination is to say, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to go to that event. I don't want to do this thing. And I forced myself to say yes to all of those things. But I wrote down what was I scared of about that. And then I went back after I did the event and go, what happened? And actually, you know, spoiler alert, every single one of them was really great. Mm. What was great was that I went into this meeting and I said one thing, but I heard 20 things that I didn't know before. And actually when I said one thing, this one person said, I just want to go back to the point that Janelle made and I felt like a legend. And then the next meeting I went to, I brought 10 of those points that I heard from the day before because I was relevant. And so then I looked back on that and I went, you know what? It was good to say yes because I learnt these things. So that was cognitive rewiring. Uh, And then the third thing I think that I've done is kind of make it okay to feel those feelings as well because the reality is the first time you do anything new, you are an imposter. Like you've written a book, right? So the first time... I can't even spell. You can't even... Okay, all right. Unnecessary detail, but okay. No, but so you wrote a book, right? But the first time... No, no, I didn't. You didn't? Well, I can't write. On the dyslexic scale. So someone wrote it for me. Someone wrote it for you. Okay, but you found the (laughs) way. Let's say I'm going to write a book. (laughs) If I choose to write a book and I go, I feel like an imposter, I'm not an author. Well, damn straight, Janelle, you're not an author. You've never written before. But that's you trying something for the first time. That's how you're going to grow. So that's okay. That's actually showing me that I'm trying something new and I'm pushing myself there. So there's an element of going, well, good for you. You're doing something new. So those are some of the ways I've tried to deal with that shark. That's awesome. I, I keep coming back to our, one of our biggest problems is understanding success. So speaking of success pillars, and I really like this conversation about the evolution of success, the, what, the danger points about thinking about success, you've got your Groove business that you're the co-founder of. Tell me about the mission and what success looks like for you with Groove. Uh, we would like to reach 
um, 100 million people and save 100,000 lives. Okay. No, mm. no biggie. So, you know, with Groove, I firmly believe that it is the biggest tool for the future success of business. You must be moving forward a mental health well-being lead. If you're not, you are not going to have a business, mm. right? 100%. Um, and I firmly believe that. And I think the mental health of the world is in terrible shape. 800,000 people committed suicide last year. And the government does not have the people or the mortar or the things to help cure this. So Groove is about prevention. Mm. Groove is about you being a well mental well-being lead in your business because you can influence so many people. So it's about prevention. Mm. It's about empowering the individual. I have a daily mental health plan. I have, and it's based on the six pillars, which is clinically sound, that keeps me well every single day, right? Um, and I think if we can empower your individuals, but also lift you mm. as a leader, we don't want you to be the psychiatrist, the psychologist. We just want you to show some vulnerability. Yeah. We want you to lead by example around mental well-being, right? And then I think the biggest challenge for all of us is optimising the environment. I mean, do you ever go home without um, your inbox or your inbox empty? No, never, no. never happened. No, no, it hasn't happened probably for 10 years, right? No. Um, so our worlds have changed. So it's about actually managing that imbalance, which is now work life. Mm. It's just life. Mm. So both encroach on each. Mm. And so I think if we can be well-being leads in the workplace and take the responsibility as business to look after the mental health of our people, we're going to help the nation um, and the world because we'll be in the preventative space. So one in five right now in this building are unwell, yeah. right? That's yeah. the stats. And they say with COVID, it's going to get worse. Mm. You know, and, and there's 4% of the population that are born with some sort of mental health issue and all the resource should be going to them. The world shouldn't be pushing people off the cliff. And I was pushed off the cliff. So that's the groove goal. And we're um, growing all the time and it's being really well received. So that's fun. Um, on the other side, we've created a curriculum for primary schools that teaches this. So how do you how do you make yourself unemployed? Don't know. You teach your kids so that when they get to 18 <laughs> and in the workplace they don't need that anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, but we're not teaching our kids this and yeah. so they're not we're not preparing them for what the world is throwing at them. So we've created a curriculum based uh, primary school um, program that's going into the schools, yeah. Very good. Did I answer the question? Yeah, you did. So we've talked about change happening to you in your life. You're trying to drive change here in societal attitudes about this. You're trying to drive change in people's behaviours and what they do to look after their mental health. I'm obviously talking a, a podcast about lessons on leading change. What what have you learnt um, about driving this kind of change, things that are working that aren't working? Yeah, look, I think if, if I could ask you a question back, if you put profitability aside, if you put where the business is at the moment aside, could you tell me that your people are well? I know. Well, we do a lot of work on this. I'd have to say that we're really clear that our people are our asset. We're a professional services business. We work for clients. Their cognitive capacity is our asset. So the, the best lever we've got for productivity, the best lever we've got for profitability, all those measures is well-being. And so we do a lot of work in that space. And I'd say one of the things that 
that is pretty fundamental to the way that we think about business is look, nobody gets out of I don't get out of bed because I've got X billion dollar sales target for the firm or that I personally have a revenue target of this. I get out of bed because our firm has a purpose, which is really clear, to build a better working world. And the things that we do want to create opportunities to do that for our clients or growth opportunities for our people. So I think everything has to scaffold from that back down. So that purpose, and the firm's pretty clear on that. So we do a lot of work to identify, do we have a really good handle on how everybody is at all points in time? Because even people respond to different things differently and even the same people respond to the same things differently within a day, right? So do I think we've nailed this? Absolutely not. But this is so critical for us. And, and ironically, I guess a lot of people, when you talk to them, you talk to clients and they'll say, well, we can't get anything more out of our people. They're tapped out. They're exhausted. But actually... Looking after well-being is the thing that's going to get more out of them. It is there. So think about the job redesign. Think about technology that you can use differently. Think about single tasking. That sort of work is what we want to do because this is the critical lever. And I think the the most important thing you said for me was the cognitive bandwidth of your yeah. people, yeah. right? So the thing I'm passionate about is that we've never been taught actually to control that. Mm. So when our parents grew up, you know, they worked nine to five or eight to five. And when they drove home, nothing followed them. Mm. They went home on the weekends and nothing followed them, right? How many times you do emails on a Sunday morning to catch up or after dinner or, you know, and that's okay. I'm Mm. saying to people, that's cool. Um, But what this world has thrown at us is we now don't have the techniques to switch off. That's it. So we don't know what our bandwidth is because we don't look after it. Mm. And so I think the future is actually okay. Everyone's different, you know, like some people can meditate, others can't. You know, it's about finding your pillars every single day that refresh you. You do not, and I talk about this often, remember when you were 23, you've just finished university, um, you come into your first job and it's Christmas holidays. By the time you get to the car park, you're on holiday. You don't give a shit. By the time you drive to the beach or wherever you go, it feels like you've been away a week. Three weeks feels like six months, (laughs) right? Think about your last holiday. It took you 10 days to unwind. It took you 10 days to actually disconnect from your email and not feel guilty about it. And then your holiday was over, (laughs) you know? It's accumulative. Stress, pressure, wherever it comes from, from your family, whatever it comes from, it's accumulative. You've got to get rid of it every single day. Mm. And those are the things that we need to teach everybody. And you're different. I don't know if you had an Auntie Betty, but I had an Auntie <laughs> Betty who did nothing. I have a Fijian Indian version there of you Auntie go. Betty. There you go. I bet you did. <laughs> but my Auntie Betty um, had, you know, sort of purple rinch hair and she'd knit. Oh, I thought you said she had knits. Okay, no, no, she knit. She'd do knitting. Okay. It used to drive us nuts. I just learnt the other day that knitting is one of the most amazing things you can do oh, so for your mental cool. health. Yeah. Right? Um, it's making a resurgence, by the puzzles, way. Puzzles, totally. Yeah. Of course it should. Puzzles, right? Um, listening to whatever those things are in your day, and I've got a real solid one, um, we need to start teaching our people, we need to empower the individual to have a daily mental health plan to cope with the life that they live. Mm. Right? And if that's meditating, if that's knitting, if that's doing a puzzle, if that's painting, if that's yoga, whatever that is. The trouble is a lot of the Eastern uh, 
Um, you know, and being of Indian descent, some of the things that are from India, from Asia, oh, are amazing. Yeah. But they're not a six-week course that you yeah. get a diploma for, right? So often when we look at these things, it becomes, and don't get me wrong, I love people that teach this, but it's a lifelong that's it's why they a call lot. it yoga practice. Yeah. It's a practice. It's a practice. <laughs> and getting getting back to to what you said before um, and what I said about um, ignorance for me is when you stop growing. Mm. So for me, this life's never finished. Mm. You know, when you said before that you've got a shark around, you know, have I finished? No. You know, you can write a book. You can You can be a singer. You can be a painter. You can be whatever. There are no rules around that. But when people stop, is when I start seeing ignorance in them um, and arrogance in people often. And I go, my biggest fear is to stop growing. So how do I keep that open-minded to go, I need to keep growing? And the same with my well-being. I try stuff all the time. Like during COVID, I took up the guitar, Yeah. right, for Bob the monkey. Um, and I'm shit at it. Mm. But it doesn't matter. It's about me spending half an hour playing the guitar and when I've finished, it feels like I put my brain in a washing machine. Sorry, I'm raving. No, you're not. And look, it gives me great hope that I might realise my ambition of being a backup dancer. It used to be for Janet Jackson in the 80s, but, you know, maybe it's Beyonce now. I'm not sure. But there's still hope for well, me, Well, Janet's okay. aged as well, so you can give, ring her up and say, look, are you going with backup dancers? I'm available. <laughs> yeah, and some of those things that we used to think about as kids, you know, I've always wanted to play the guitar, mm. um, but I'm not playing to get up on stage. I'm playing because I think I've got music in me that's never been able to get out. Oh, no, I've got the music in me. Yeah. JK, I reckon I could sit and talk to you for hours and actually with a glass of red wine in hand, I'm, I'm up for a... Um, we did talk about that before. Hopefully we'll get another chance to do that. But um, I really wanted to thank you for this. I've come away with... Well, firstly, I've got a visual in my head of this great hulking former all-black player knitting, uh, courtesy <laughs> of Auntie Betty. But, you know, like reminders about success and taking the time to redefine success for yourself. Um, I'm thinking about boxes. I'm thinking about bridges. I'm thinking about sharks. And I'm thinking about the ever-present continuous opportunity for growth that we all have in po- upon us. And it really reminds me that we have agency here and we should be intentional about, uh, about that growth. Yeah, look, and I think um, same for me. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, I think I'm going to have to interview again because there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> but I think when business models get in and you talk about change and you talk about um, agile and all that sort of stuff, it's been explained wrong. So the first thing people think about is, am I going to be good enough? Mm. Are, are they downsizing? So the, the negatives of that have taken. But growth is really scary, but one of the most rewarding things you can ever do. And it's like all mental health things. If you don't communicate it properly, people will go to the negative because change is scary. So I think there's a whole... A whole raft of things that we can do in the business world that's going to make people a whole lot calmer and a whole lot better. So thank you. I'll just leave you with what my mum said. Please. Um, My mum passed four years ago. She was a beautiful lady, really, really wise. And we used to have these arguments about coffins, which was really weird. You really do have this thing going on in your family, don't (laughs) you? I know, yeah. I think it's a Catholic thing, but she's worrying about burying herself. And I'm going, mum, it doesn't matter. Like... I'll cover you. No, no, I've got to have this amount of money. And, and we used to talk about coffins. But anyway, she would have been really happy with the coffin we chose. Okay. Um, and I'm looking down on this coffin and, and I was thinking about how beautiful my mum was. And we'd had an aftermatch function. And um, everyone came up to me and said, gee, I loved your mum. 
Well, they compliment you about the coffin, which <laughs> mum would have been happy about. But they said, gee, we loved your mum. I said, yeah, I love my mum too. Why did you uh, love my mum? And they said, because she gave us time. She, and she used to stop and talk to us and it was like we're the only people in the world. And so I promised myself that I'd give more people time. Wow. For my mum. So I just want to thank she you for your time. She would be enormously proud because you do. You, I mean, look, this is our second time catching up face-to-face, but at least even in the hour or hours that we've spent together, I feel like there's no one else in the room. And actually there's a producer sitting next to us and it just feels like you give your time. And I know that you do that for so many, so thank you. No, thank you for your time. And, and um, just for anyone who's listening to this, I want to challenge you all to give someone time in the next 24 hours. Um, either yourself if you need it, but someone else. And then uh, my mum will be really happy. But I think <laughs> the world takes time away from us. So, so true. You need to get it back. I mean, someone said to me the other day, shit, JK, it's July nearly. And I'm going, yeah, it's June nearly. And he goes, wow, it was Christmas yesterday. Mm. So if we don't stop it ourselves, it will be taken away from us. And it's precious. So thank you. This has been Open Minded with John Kerwin. Thanks for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe.